Hey guys, Dr. Greg here. <laughs> I just got done with probably one of the most amazing conversations with our nurse practitioner, Emily, ever. So if you are a female or you know a female or you live with a female, you need to listen to this podcast. We're going to talk about everything hormones. We're going to have actionable items that you can do for yourself or your loved ones. So stay tuned. This is a good one. All right, you guys, welcome to another episode of The Daily Dose with Dr. Greg, and today is truly going to be a special episode. I have Emily Anderson. Emily is actually one of our expert clinicians on our team here at Vitae, and um, her understanding of, we're going to talk a lot about the female today and female hormones and all those things, and we're also going to talk a lot about why maybe people that have done hormonal work has not worked because you can't plant a flower in the middle of a weed garden. Absolutely. Right? So, Emily, it's good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I don't know. It's, it's good to have you. You and I have had some really fun conversations about taking care of people and how a lot of the things that we've tried over the years just hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. And once we understand this true underlying thing, it can make a lot more sense. We'll Absolutely. get into that. Yep. But help me understand, help the listeners, like, how did you get here? Like, give us the kind of your journey professionally yeah. to sit in this chair in our studio? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I think my journey professionally really overlaps with my personal journey. And I, I would say it probably started in high school when anytime I did any sort of endurance activity, I would lose my menstrual cycle. So naturally went to my OBGYN. And I think anytime you present to a conventional medicine doctor with yeah. hormonal dysregulations, they say, which birth control option right. do you like, yeah. right? So I Simple picked fix. my... Yep, Picked my birth control and, you know, because I didn't have any other option, right? right? That was the only thing that was really on the table and was on birth control for many years. Okay. Um, they didn't really do much of a workup at all. They thought, well, essentially your hypothalamus, which is a part of your brain, isn't communicating to your pituitary and your pituitary is not telling your ovaries to have a cycle because you are an athlete. But I was not a high endurance athlete. I really, some part of me always knew that that was not the true cause. Interesting. So, so you had this intuition early on yeah. that you're like, mm, I mean, I yes, you're a doctor. I mm -hmm. guess I trust you, but there's a part of me that's like, I don't know. Absolutely. All yeah. Right, continue. And, and I always love the human body. I think part of that sort of spurred my nursing career and, right. you know, went to school for, for nursing at James Madison University in Virginia and then graduated uh, with my bachelor's, went on to be a nurse in the intensive care unit, which I loved because I've always had this curiosity for the human body and yeah. wanted to know, you know, as much as I possibly could about it. Um, but it was always the conventional medicine side of things. Mm. So I met my husband and we talked, you know, coming, going back to the hormone conversation, we talked about, you know, potential babies. And when I went back to my OBGYN, she said, essentially, you'll need fertility treatments and a lot of prayers. So, what? yep. Oh so, gosh. You know, my husband and I, we, we thought, well, if, if it's in it's in God's hands and if right. we want to have babies, well, then, you know, it'll happen. Um, but in that period of time, we both graduated with our master's degrees okay. and we thought, okay, well, now's a great time to try and have kids. And were you on birth control, like essentially from high school up to that point, because that's what you were told your yep. body needs? And, and when I was off birth control, I didn't have a period. So obviously... The scare tactics of you're going to lose your bone mass, you're going to lose your right. memory, oh you're going to have cardiovascular disease, you know, all these these consequences of having low estrogen, right? Yeah. Which is which is absolutely true, but what's the root cause, right? right? So, um, so my husband and I had two successful pregnancies using fertility treatments. I mean, it was such a blessing. We really didn't have to escalate a whole lot, which, like I said, is is truly a god thing in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I had this one astute reproductive endocrinologist who said, hey, why don't we get an MRI of your brain just to make sure that there's nothing functionally going on, you know, okay. that's potentially an organic cause of why you're not having periods. Right. 
So my results actually show that I had a small pituitary microadenoma, which is a tumor on the brain. Interesting. And this is one of those things that's usually an incidental finding. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have this tumor for most of their lives and it doesn't cause any sort of impactful symptoms. And right. it's not one that's found until they do an autopsy type of thing. Right. But because they didn't have anything else to go on, they said, well, this is probably the reason that you're not having menstrual cycles. Okay. So fast forward, my husband and I, um, I was working in the intensive care unit as a nurse practitioner. We right. ended up moving here to Minnesota and okay. I decided that I wanted to reinvent myself a little bit. So um, I decided that ICU was kind of be paused for a moment and I was going to be a mom. Mm -hmm. And in that period of time, I found a job working in a hormonal clinic. Okay. I mean, what a blessing, right? It was right. kind of like a God thing. Like, yeah. here you go, find some answers. Here you have it. For yourself as well. Yep. Yeah. So um, in that, I really, I think a lot of people who end up in a certain place have a story behind it. And mm -hmm. so for me, hormones was a lot about figuring out my own issues right. and then using that to help others as well. So in about nine months, I started having cycles again after doing a lot of work on myself using the tools that I was giving to my own patients. Without right? drugs or surgery, Correct. just kind of asking the question, hey, yep. okay, yep. I'm with you. Yep. And then I cycled normally for about six months and I stopped cycling and found out I was pregnant with my third child. Without fertility treatments. Correct. Yep. So let me go back because what I, so do you feel that the reason why you didn't have cycles as a young woman was because of this microadenoma pituitary tumor? Or do you feel there was something else environmentally that was going on inside your body? I think it was 100% environmental. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, going back to, to childhood and, and things that kind of happened during that time, toxin exposure, um, potentially some pathogens. I mean, who right. knows? Right. We were outside all the time as kids, lots of tick bites. I mean, who knows what it was? So what you, what you didn't say was when you did hormonal treatment, you did a specific therapy. You did not do a specific therapy to treat the tumor on your pituitary gland. Correct. You got rid of the tumor and voila, you got cycles. No, what you said is I asked the question, all right, if my body's truly designed to have cycles by itself, what mm -hmm. could be going on and how could I address this? And lo and behold, baby three, Shows their Healthy face baby to this world. Yep. <laughs> that is wild. So then there was probably this like, okay, time out. I'm a fit, healthy woman. Mm -hmm. If this can make a difference in my life, then I love how you said like, like God puts you in places for a reason, Absolutely. right? So, so now here you are, um, essentially giving your life to come alongside, not, not just women, because mm -hmm. that whole environmental conversation can apply to men. It can apply, it can apply to adolescents. It can apply to old people. Mm -hmm. um, so, so here we are now inside of a clinic that, and I think one of the things that our clinic is different, do we have the ability to do hormones? Yes. What I have found, because I used to do some hormonal work as well, is there's that frustration of how come when I give someone with a hormonal issue hormones, it doesn't work the way that it should. Yep. Yeah. And, and the other question is, I would get a lot, do I have to do this forever? And I would say, well, no, but if you don't do it forever, and that's bioidentical hormones, then your symptoms are going to come back. Right. So it's how do we create an environment within your body where your body's going to do the work that it needs to do so that yeah. your hormones are balanced. I love that. You've heard me say probably a thousand times since you've been a part of our clinic, the body responds appropriately mm -hmm. to its environment. So if we can have that curiosity, that's wild. So here, hormonal imbalances. Um, so the question is, what does this phrase really mean and what are some signs that you're being impacted? Yeah, so I think hormonal imbalances really fall under three umbrella categories. The first one is neuroendocrine disruption. So my situation, I believe, was a neuroendocrine disruption where my hypothalamus in my brain just wasn't communicating to my pituitary to release the hormones that would produce 
a cycle, right? So, so for our listeners, I'll put that into English for you for a second. There was a essentially part of your brain that's designed mm -hmm. to tell one of your glands to do the job. So there was a miscommunication between this high-level neurology right. and like the, the general of the troop mm -hmm. that was supposed to give orders. So there was some yeah. type of a miscommunication there. Right. That control uh, system that. is just not doing what it was intended yeah. to do because of your environment. Okay. So the second one I really believe is mitochondrial dysfunction. So the mitochondria is really where the biosynthesis of steroid hormones occurs. So, and then it, it provides the energy, the, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, right? right? So it provides the energy for production and trafficking of these hormones. And okay. so if you have no gas in the tank, as you put right. it, right. Um, then your body's not going to be able to do what it needs to do. That's a big that. thing. And I think there's a, a lot of, been a lot of confusion and mm -hmm. conversation around adrenal exhaustion or adrenal uh, whatever. And the reality is we know now through the cell danger response that the adrenals don't just do the powerhouse. They're either the powerhouse or they're the battleship, mm -hmm. but they can't be both. And all of a sudden that changes everything. Absolutely. Right. Because if there's a reason for a battle, they're going to prioritize being a battleship. Mm -hmm. However, there's got to be enough gas to get through the journey. So really every single cell in the body, 75 trillion cells, mm -hmm. all have a mitochondria inside of it. And there's many, actually many mitochondria inside of a cell. And their job is to produce this little thing called ATP. Mm -hmm. And ATP lets your cells do what they're supposed to do. They let you feel like a mama and a human being and have energy to get through your day. Yep. And if there's a lot of load on your body, whether it's emotional stress, past trauma, chemical stress or infections, those things take load or demand of that energy system. Absolutely. Crazy yeah. stuff. Keep going. Yeah. The third one would be poor detoxification and elimination. Man. So liver, 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 and gut, right? Yeah. Your liver is where the majority of your estrogen is detoxified. You've got phase one, phase two, and phase three, right. and then it eliminates via your stool. So if you have any problems with either one of those processes, we're going to see hormonal imbalances. Right. Do not pass go. Do not collect Absolutely. 200 bucks. If your bowels are not moving well, mm -hmm or they're moving too fast, it can mess up that whole system. Yep. And I think people um, skip over that step. They're like, let's get fancy, right. let's let's do this, yep. whatever, parasite cleanse, or let's do this. And I'm like, wait, 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 time out. How's your gut? Yeah. How's your liver? Yep. And, and I bet if we took a symptom list of like hypothyroidism, for example, right, like, like low energy, constipation, mm -hmm. um, dry skin, a lot of them were like, yeah, that's me. But as we know, right, 60% of the conversion of those thyroid hormones happen in the liver. 20% mm -hmm. of those happen in the gut. Yep. I think, and actually I have, a, I have a, a patient right now that she's a poor detoxifier. By the way, I think a lot of people are poor detoxifiers. So what you can't do to a poor detoxifier is just go try to kill a bunch of things mm -hmm. because their drainage pathways are like, uh, no, yeah, you can't do that. So and our livers are so burdened nowadays, right? Oh so many toxins that it's it's you really have to pay special attention. Definitely to the, the most overworked, underpaid organ yep. in the body, no question 100%. about it. Now, a question that I would have is like, how would somebody? What would be a symptom of my liver is struggle busing? Like, how would I mean? Let's just back and forth. What would that look like? How would someone know that? Yeah, so a lot of times we see it manifest as an estrogen dominance. Okay. Um, just because the if the liver is not able to detoxify with phase one, phase two, phase three, a lot of that estrogen becomes recycled within right. the body. Okay. So on testing, we see a lot of that estrogen dominance. Obviously, with, with your comprehensive testing, we see a lot of liver stress and 100%. liver strain. 
Um, and then I do a lot of Dutch testing and we can see specifically at the liver, the COMT enzyme, we can see methylation activity mm-hmm. on that test um, to really give us some more insight so into. If someone doesn't have labs in front of them. Yeah. What would be some things that someone watching this right now could be like, oh my God, my symptoms could possibly be estrogen dominance. What would that, how would that manifest? Um, typically it's a lot of emotional type of symptoms. So premenstrual type symptoms, anxiety, irritability. Um, sometimes we see breast tenderness and fibrocystic breasts occur, uh, headaches. Sometimes that is one of the, the symptoms that we see manifest as a result of changes or fluctuations in estrogen, especially in the luteal phase or right before your next menstrual cycle and then irregular periods. So spotting, especially right before the next period. Okay. So that could be some symptoms. Some of the things that I've seen, I think with the liver is I actually think a lot of it is, so the liver is both a detoxifier, but it also makes bile, mm-hmm. right? So your bile, we, so bile is this chemical that's made in the liver and then it's put into your little sac called the gallbladder. And then when you have a fatty food, your gallbladder squirts a little bile out into your intestines to break the fats down. Much mm-hmm. like if you put dish soap in a greasy pan, you can see those fats break up. So another another reason that I would say, so number one, if you've had a cholecystectomy, fancy term for a gallbladder removal, your liver's stressed, yep. unquestionably. Now, prior to that though, um, people not handling fatty foods, even something like an egg or an avocado mm-hmm. or a, a cheeseburger. Now mm-hmm. I'm not condoning big greasy cheeseburgers even though they sound yummy. That could be another reason of a, of a burdened liver. Absolutely. Without a doubt inside of that. And, and understand that your liver dumps into your gut. Mm-hmm. I, I joke, I say, when I get to heaven, I have some questions for God. And one of them is going to be like, hey, how come the liver like didn't have its own like exit spot? And I'm sure there's a good answer for that. Yeah. So, I, so I think people really need to understand drainage and where that goes. So that, yeah. that's super helpful. Um, the endocrine system, it's it's not an island. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about the endocrine system and kind of how it impacts the, the hormonal world. Yeah. So... You know, you said it best, you can't grow a garden where there's a bunch of weeds, right? And so when we look at the endocrine system, we know that it's impacted by things like toxicity and things like blood sugar dysregulation and inflammation. Um, Gut dysbiosis is a huge one. I see a lot of, um, speaking of drainage pathways, you've got, you know, a lot of leaky gut happening these Mm -hmm. days where uh, essentially if the gut microbiome is not optimal, you can have increased what we call beta-glucuronidase, which Mm -hmm. is an enzyme that essentially, when estrogen is ready to be pushed out of the body, comes in with scissors and just cuts that estrogen away from glucuronic acid. And so estrogen is then reabsorbed into the bloodstream. So the gut is a super big focus of mine um, just because of that piece of it. So, um, so, so let yeah. me dive in a little bit. Sorry, you, you use a lot of big words. So <laughs> gut dysbiosis. Yeah, so so we gut. know that there's 2,500 in a healthy gut. In a healthy gut, there's 2,500 different unique species of bacteria in the gut. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's a direct correlation even between someone born via cesarean section and a vaginal delivery. So a little correlation. So when the baby's inside mama, the gut's sterile. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a natural childbirth, a vaginal delivery, where the mom's maybe not on a bunch of antibiotics, when that little pumpkin comes through the vaginal canal, they actually get a gulp of mom's uh, vaginal mucosa, which has bacteria, and it seeds the gut. And then that's how these babies get this natural immune system. If there's a C-section, that doesn't happen. Mama gets split in half, baby gets popped out, we're good to go. And there's a huge correlation in research of even... There's something like 70% increase in autoimmune disease of an of a cesarean section. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Well, that's good. I wasn't I wasn't a cesarean section, but I had ear infections and I had antibiotic use early on in life. There's even research that shows developmental delays within the first year of life. Mm -hmm. So so it's not just and by the way, it's also not just go take a bunch of probiotics. Correct. Because we need to understand. So biodiversity mm -hmm. uh, is just so, so important uh, from that gut standpoint. So, so yeah, c continue on the conversation around the, the island of the endocrine. Yeah. So uh, even, I mean, so we talked about toxicity um, and toxicity also involves things like mold. We know that mycotoxins, there is a specific form of mycotoxin that can actually be really estrogenic Interesting. and that can lead to levels, high levels of estrogen and estrogen dom dominance. I actually had a patient who was a male and he was getting testosterone therapy. And we know that when you give a man testosterone, you have this little enzyme that likes to convert testosterone to estrogen. Mm -hmm. So we have to be really careful about estrogen, but his estrogen levels were in the 200s, 300s, right? And that's like, for a woman, that's, 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 that's sometimes that's high, right? That's videos kind of estrogen. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so come to find out, it was it was a mold situation that he was in. So. And, and I'm curious, is that, because we know that molds can come from like, I've got a moldy basement, mm -hmm. but molds can also come from a moldy house or from like a moldy like food or something. Mm -hmm. Do you know specifically that what what um, The mold is xerolinone. I'm not exactly sure in okay. terms of, I'm, I'm almost positive that it is a, a house an type environmental, of mold. environmental, environmental mold, yeah. mold, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And isn't that interesting how, so there's an example of an environmental toxin mm -hmm. that can present itself as a hormone hormone disruptor yep. inside the body. You see, you know, I hear I hear some like the old schoolers in our profession talk about like 40 years, 50 years ago, it was a lot easier to be in medicine then. Yeah. Right? There were so many simpler. less things that they had to deal with. I heard I heard something the other day that being a child today from a stress standpoint is similar to being like a child during World War II. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. So, and we know that that's, that's impactful. Mm -hmm. And, and so what we're, what we're really telling our listeners is that's not just, you're not just missing a vitamin Correct. or you're not missing a pellet in your wrist or wherever you put those pellets. <laughs> there, you, we have to look at the whole entire component. I mean, I had a patient last night. We talk about trauma, right? This is mm -hmm. something we talk about in our mm -hmm. practice. And this woman's demeanor changed like instantaneously. Um, and she, she didn't feel comfortable to share, which that's okay. Mm -hmm. And she said, I, and I said, well, what percent of what you're manifesting symptom wise do you feel is because of what you're holding on to your trauma? She told me 90%. Poor sweetheart. Yeah. So we, we just, we had some action steps around that. Now we're not therapists. We're not psychiatrists, right. psychologists yet. We have to acknowledge that that can have mm -hmm. a conversation inside Absolutely. of this. Absolutely. And, and I mean, such a huge impact on the endocrine system. Yeah, I mean, you think think about it. Like the woman, part of our part of your all's design is to have babies, right? Yeah. So if your system says this is not a safe environment, mm -hmm. and and I this is not a good place for me to carry a little one, your body intelligently is going to say, we're not going to go there. Absolutely, yeah. That's wild. But hold that thought. We're going to jump to a commercial break, and we're going to jump back into hormones in just a bit. Hi, everyone. This is Ben, one of Dr. Greg's producers. We appreciate you tuning into the Daily Dose with Dr. Greg. We're so grateful for every single one of our listeners, and we know that our audience is expanding all over the world. If you are interested in working with Dr. Greg, Emily Anderson, or Vitae Clinic, all you have to do is click the link in this episode's show notes. We want to bring people as much value as possible. So if you personally enjoyed this episode, please, please share it with your friends and family. Also, we welcome your comments, feedback, and questions on any of our social media platforms. Feel free to reach out anytime. All that said, let's hop back into today's conversation with Dr. Greg and Emily Anderson. All right, you guys, we are back. Uh, and again, I'm with Emily, our, our expert nurse practitioner here at Vitae Clinic. 
uh, in the, the South Metro of Minneapolis. So back in, um, common things people do every single day to mess up their hormones. I could go on for days about this. <laughs> Biggest one I see is skin, what we're putting on our skin every day. So in, in obviously being a woman, woman, you yeah. are exposed to cosmetics and fragrances and hair care products. And, yeah. you know, there are tons of toxins in, in all of those right. things. There's actually lead in lipstick, right? So, I mean, that's, that's a big one. Goodness. And you're not going to find it on the ingredient label, right? It's one of the contaminants that happens in the process of the pigmentation and all of that. So clean up your skincare. Um, there are, you know, obviously beauty counter and all these other places, places to go. So right? what are the top three things? So if someone's listening to this right now, yeah. when you run out of these three things, replace them with something different. What order, what, what are the top three? I would say makeup for sure. Um, That's a big one, by the way. I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a woman. It, However, I've been to those stores. So like what what part of makeup specifically would you say is has the greatest Whatever impact? you're putting the most on your skin. So probably okay. foundation. Okay. You know, if, you, if you're putting it out here and here, you know, you want to make sure that your skin's your largest organ. So, okay. so foundation number yeah. one. And then I would say your body soap, right? You're right. putting that all over your body, right? Okay. So you want to make sure that it's a clean product. Um, and then, gosh, third one would be tough. I mean, there's probably deodorant, maybe. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, an that's a huge one. one. And I think the, the thing with deodorant that is, and I get this. I mean, I have three daughters mm -hmm. and a wife. Um, women don't want to sweat. Right. And and so the biggest one of the biggest pushes in the world of deodorant is really antiperspirant, right? Mm -hmm. Where aluminum zirconium is the active ingredient that essentially turns off your lymphatic system right. in your armpits, where you have this huge load of lymphatic tissue. Mm -hmm. By the way, for our listeners. Breast cancer most greatly appears in what's called the axilla of the breast, not like in the body of the breast, but up in the, like the armpit, the axilla of the breast, where the highest density of lymphatic tissue mm -hmm. lies. So if you're telling your body, hey, lymphatic tissue, sorry, you, you can't do your thing. I, I, and I get, I get that you don't want to sweat. I get that. And I tell, I tell people, sweat just don't stink. So <laughs> absolutely. But the, the thing too is, and some people like even a stink can say something. Mm -hmm. In some cases, maybe there'll be another podcast as to why, yeah, why there's is, a lot we could talk about. Why do my armpits stink? Yeah, um, probably a good one. All right, uh, estrogen dominance. Um, we talked a bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to dive more into that? Um, you know, so I will say something about estrogen is that I think it gets a bad rap, right? We hear all about estrogen dominance. We hear about you know how estrogen is like this bad thing, but right. estrogen is actually really good for us, right? It helps with mental clarity and memory and protection of it against cardiovascular disease mm -hmm. and bone fortification and, and all these wonderful things. I mean, our skin, our hair, our nails, our, our mucosal membranes, they're all dependent to some degree on estrogen. Okay. So it's when we start running into xenoestrogens, like in the endocrine disruptors that we just talked about, and the poor ability to detoxify estrogens that we start getting into trouble with right. estrogen. So xenoestrogen, fake estrogen. Mm -hmm. So things can mimic Correct. an estrogen molecule. Mm -hmm. However, it is it has no, no want or shape to even do the right thing. It's gonna come in and jack things up. Absolutely. So that's why we don't like microwave and plastics. We mm -hmm. don't we're really careful about being around some of those some of those things that can Right. Oh my gosh. Right. Crazy stuff. Okay. Um, Low estrogen. Let's flip the spectrum here. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. low estrogen. So low estrogen can be a product of the neuroendocrine system. So we talked about that where the brain sends a message to the organ itself mm -hmm. in order mm -hmm. to make the hormone. Right. Um, but it can also be a normal physiologic process, right? With perimenopause and, and menopause, 
um, where you know we know that there are some risks 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 associated with yeah. lower estrogen. Yeah. Um, we talked about the protection that it serves with regard to the brain, to the heart, okay. um, to the bones, and so in the absence of estrogen, we're you know potentially leading down a path of of problems. Okay. So. Um, that's where estrogen replacement, in my opinion, comes into play, you know, in the perimenopause or menopausal women, um, just to make sure that we're safeguarding those organ systems. So if I hear you correctly, if, if I mean, so naturally, estrogen does drop during perimenopause and we see a pretty sharp drop in menopause. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that all of those women should be taking estrogen or are there certain people that are like, yes, you're, you're a candidate? What's your take on that? Yeah, so so perimenopause, a lot of times it's characterized by fluctuations in estrogen. So, mm. you know, for that woman, I would say let's work on the balance versus right. giving you something synthetic. But, you know, for women who are in menopause, I really don't see any detriment to using estrogen as long as it's opposed with progesterone uh, because yes. we know that the balance of those is really key. Yeah, you can't just put the hammer down on one without understanding Correct. how the whole cycle works right. inside of that. You need that balance. I think that's important because I mean, yes, we're naturally minded and yes, we also understand how the body works. We have really good research now on longevity and what happens when there's a, an absence of estrogen in the system. Um, so it's maybe kind of a little bit of a, of a longevity hack maybe. Uh, I, I, I would think so. I'm I would think it. so. I think it's awesome. Um, so you're an advocate to this thing called seed cycling. We've spoken about this before. Let's maybe let's maybe explain why, and then we'll talk about how our listeners can benefit from seed cycling. Yeah, so seed cycling was one of the tools that I use to get my menstrual cycle back. And so it if is, you don't want to get pregnant, don't do this. No, right. I'm, just, I'm totally joking. <laughs> I mean, there are a couple other things that right, are involved right. in that too, right? <laughs> but um, seed cycling involves using four different seeds during the two time two different times of your menstrual cycle. Okay. So. Um, you use flaxseed and pumpkin seed for the first half, so days one, which is the first day of your menstrual bleed, mm -hmm. to about cycle day 14 if you have a 28-day menstrual cycle. Um, for the, so for the first 14 days, it's one to two tablespoons of ground flax and try to source ground organic flax, okay. um, and then ground, ground organic pumpkin seeds. Question for you in regards mm -hmm. to that. Would you source a whole seed and then grind it before you eat it, yes. or would you tell them to buy ground? I would... So I would recommend, if you can, to grind it and maybe store it for the next week okay. just so you've got it, just so that you get all of those fresh components right away. Right. If you buy it ground, it's usually in a big bag so and a lot of it starts to break bit, down yeah. and oxidize. So, yeah. So instead of, I mean, so if you were like really OCD, you could grind, like like a coffee grinder yep. type grinder is the best grinder. You could grind every single morning. Mm -hmm. So two tablespoons of those two seeds during the first half of Correct. the cycle. So you're supporting estrogen. Um, they contain lignans and and um, also phytoestrogen. So you're supporting estrogen, but you're also supporting healthy removal of estrogen as well. Yeah. So phyto as opposed to xeno. Correct. Yes. Right? So phyto is a is a supportive form. Yep. Where Zeno is a fake and it's unsupportive. So, yes. And then would you throw them in a smoothie or how do most people yeah, consume Yeah, I typically put mine in a smoothie or on some yogurt. You can make granola with it. Right. Um, but there's a ton of options for that. So, so two tablespoons mm -hmm. of each a day. Correct. Is there an optimal time of the day to consume those? Not really. I usually do it in, in the morning just to get it in and then you don't have to worry about Forget it about anymore. It. Okay. Yep. So now we're on the second half. So yep. 15 through 28-ish or up until your first day of bleed. Yep. What's the second cycle? Um, sunflower seeds and sesame seeds. And okay. same thing, one to two tablespoons each, throw it in a smoothie, on some toast, whatever is easiest for you. Okay. Um, but the nice thing about those is they contain the lignans, but also vitamin E. They have um, selenium, 
uh, and zinc to help with detoxification of those estrogens and okay. support of the progesterone. Which so is a the, sunflower seed, of course, I grew up like playing baseball. So I think of like, you know, chewing the big old salted seeds. So probably a shelled. Correct. Raw. Organic, sprouted. Right. Organic and sprouted. And, and for our listeners, like, where do you find your stuff? Uh, Costco. <laughs> they, have, they have those? Yeah, they've got great That's pumpkin awesome. seeds and sesame seeds at Costco. And then um, Go Raw is a great company that okay. makes a really nice organic sprouted seed. We'll put that in the show notes, by the way, guys, yeah. where you guys can find these things because we got to make it easy for you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that is awesome. And I love, women love actionable mm-hmm. items, right? Like, how can I just create a better experience. And what you just explained is probably like 15 cents a day. Yeah. Maybe 20 cents tops. And for the woman who's not cycling, so let's say, you know, maybe you don't have a period or maybe your periods are regular, you can use the moon cycles to actually dictate your Ooh, seed cycling. Yeah. So um, from new moon to full moon would be essentially day one through 14. So that's when you'd use the first two seeds. And then from um, full moon full to, moon new, to moon new moon would be when you use the last two seeds. Yeah. There you so. go. There you go. I love it. I love it. Uh, another hormone people talk about is cortisol. Yeah. What can cortisol levels tell us? So I love cortisol testing. I do a lot of this in the Dutch um, just because it gives us the whole diurnal pattern of cortisol. So you get to see... What does the, diurnal mean? So diurnal means the body's response to cortisol. So typically in the morning um, or 30 minutes, I guess I should say, after waking, you should have your highest level of cortisol. And essentially that's like a mini stress test for your body. Interesting. Yeah. And it actually, actually promotes some immunity. So if you wake up and you kind of have like a stuffy nose or you feel like a little drainage in the back of your throat and then an hour later you feel fine, that's because that cortisol has mm. ramped a little bit and it's this giving job. your body a little bit of more of that immune boosting okay. property. Okay. Yeah. So 30 minutes after waking, you should have a nice high level of cortisol and then throughout the course of the day, your cortisol level should drop so that melatonin can rise at night and you can get a good night's sleep and get Man, the antioxidants. Burning question. Um, how could someone optimize that first 30 minutes of their day mm-hmm. so that they could give their body the chance to have that spike? Yeah. Because it's not like it ramps through the night, mm-hmm. right? It stays low yep. and then poof, does this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's that's a loaded question because there's a lot of things that go into it. It's not like one day you're just going to wake up and you're going to have high levels of cortisol, yeah. right? It's, it's really a pattern that happens over time as you're burning the candle at both ends or not giving mm. your body the gratitude that it deserves or not, you know, things like hormonal or uh, blood sugar dysregulation and, and all of these things can impact So it's not cortisol. really what you do the first 30 minutes. It's Correct. what you did the day before, mm-hmm. a week before, before. Yep. Um, all of those things because it's, yeah, so it's not that you can hack a crappy day before by doing 25 push-ups in the Correct. morning. Um, however, if you don't have that early cortical response, mm-hmm. then what you just said is now you're even, even potentially even immunocompromised right off the bat yeah. and yeah. you're not there. And I mean, then you start low and your body's designed to go lower or mm-hmm. flatline from there. So walk me more through that. Yeah, response. we know that um, in absence of a cortisol awakening response, so like we talked about that little curve in your cortisol mm-hmm. is consistent with more autoimmune disease and PTSD, depression. So we can tell a lot from just looking at that cortisol curve throughout the day. And low is not necessarily the only bad thing, some people can have a high cortisol yeah, response. Yeah. So just because it's high doesn't mean like they're superhuman. No, and we know that cortisol is a catabolic um, uh, hormone so that you know if your cortisol levels are high, you're more likely to end up with osteoporosis. And oh. cortisol can also release uh, in, um, glucose from the liver. So we know that you're more likely to maybe have insulin resistance. Right. So again, we can de- deduce a whole lot from looking at just that one test. So it's catabolic. 
Yes. Use a lot of big words. Uh, <laughs> catabolic design is to break things down, yep. right? I, I mean, I learned in grad school, catabolic is kill, mm -hmm. right? And anabolic is build. Yep. So catabolic means, so your body's like, I don't know if we're making it through today. So use all the resources. Right. Right now, it doesn't matter. Yep. You're running and, from a bear. Yeah. Right? And you so, get so like, I don't even do, you know, rest, digest, heal, feel loved. Meh. Yes. We're yeah. going to survive. Yeah. And that's the other thing is it can tell me how much a person's actually tapping into their parasympathetic nervous system, which is that rest, digest, right. relax, right? Right. So how much are you stopping to meditate or to box breathe or to journal or any of those things that really tap into that parasympathetic Those things are all so expensive to do, though. I know. I mean, I mean I just, it's, it's just not feasible for yeah. a lot of people. Who has so, time for that? I mean, well, time <laughs> is one thing. But yeah. like, I mean, gosh, I mean, those journals, I mean, and I'm right. totally joking, obviously. And here's why we say that, you guys, is... You've got to be willing to pick up the low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. You've got to be willing to do the things. By the way, there's boatloads of research that show breath work, mindfulness, journaling. Mm -hmm. But how many people actually do them? Right. And I will tell you that those that do them consistently will report to us it's clutch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can have a huge impact on your cycles too. We know that high levels of cortisol can impact ovarian function. So, yeah. Crazy sauce. All right. Let's jump into PCOS. Tell yeah. me more about that. So PCOS has about four different phenotypes, but the, the type that I typically see the most has to do with insulin resistance. So mm -hmm. it's typically the patient who comes, they can't lose weight, they are struggling with oily skin or facial hair growth um, or male pattern baldness, and it typically stems from insulin resistance that, that, that then fuels testosterone production. So okay. um, a lot of times we see a cluster of symptoms that are related to high levels of androgens, which is the male sex hormone. Yeah. Um, and so more commonly with PCOS, um, it really is a lifestyle type of intervention that we put into place okay. that really does help. So, just a, so I'm going I'm to peel back a few layers. Mm -hmm. So their symptoms mm -hmm. would be oily skin, some potentially some facial hair growth, potentially some hair loss. Um, and then on labs, we're going to see elevated insulin and elevated testosterone. Correct. And because of the elevation in testosterone, a lot of times we also see elevations in estrogen. Right. Because your body has this enzyme inside of your fat cells, typically, that creates this testosterone to estrogen conversion process. So. Whoa. Okay, so let's jump into the lifestyle. Like yeah. How, how, do you, how do you address PCOS? Yeah, that's a really great question. First thing hands down that I recommend is vitamin D. Vitamin D has been associated with less PCOS symptoms. Interesting. Um, there have been studies showing that vitamin D, that women with PCOS have lower levels of vitamin D. And it's not because they have PCOS, it's because their PCOS symptoms are just more pronounced than their low levels of vitamin D, right? How many times on labs, even when someone takes vitamin D, mm -hmm. do we see optimal levels of vitamin D? Not, nine out of 10 suboptimal. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I joke with people I'm like, well, that's because we live in Minnesota or we don't get outside. When I lived in Hawaii for a period of yeah. time, I actually was able to draw labs on some of the locals. And I don't joke when I say that these people have probably never worn shoes <laughs> in their life. Suboptimal vitamin D. Yeah. So it is, it's a, and it's a hormone, right? Mm -hmm. So isn't it interesting that 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 can come in and do its job? So what else? That's a, that's a huge one, by the yeah. way. By the way, don't just take any vitamin D. I mean, I'm not trying to pitch our product here, though like a good vitamin D product has D3. A better vitamin D product, D3 and K2. The product that we use has 
21 ingredients. Mm-hmm. And it is the only product that I've used, I think, for almost like eight years now. Yeah. And it's very feasibly priced. Mm-hmm. And it has like the vitamin A and the fat components and the herbs that actually make it work in the, the body. Cofactors, so right. The cofactors, right? The cofactors are a big, big deal. Yeah. So, okay, so vitamin D, number one. Vitamin D, um, second would be to try to get a better control over insulin so, and, and glucose. So my recommendation for that is walking and especially before meals. So there are studies showing that walking can greatly reduce glucose postprandial, means after a meal. Right. Um, the other thing is apple cider vinegar or lemon juice before a meal. So how far should they go for a walk? What does the research show? You know, I am not into like pigeonholing people. If you can go for a walk down your block, right, one day and then the next day, maybe go two or maybe three or more steps. But there's like a a law of diminishing returns, right? So anything above, what, 20, 30 minutes is probably like... "Mm." For sure, yeah. And then I, I have the mom right now going, oh, right. Before, so after I make yeah. supper and before I serve it to my family, I'm going to pause everything and go for a walk. Now, I say that with a little tongue-in-cheek because a lot of women mm-hmm. don't have the ability to ask for help inside the home. Yeah. They're not like, yo, dudes, all of you sitting on the couch on your freaking phones right now, come into the kitchen, <laughs> do this and this, I'm going to go for a quick walk. Right. How many moms actually say that? Yeah. And by the way, if you're that mom, kudos to you. And if you're not... Um, you need to. I'm, I'm giving you doctor's note. You're talking to me too. Right, right. Like, <laughs> like, and, and and your kids don't need to be 15. Yes. Like, hey, hey, guys, I'm gonna go for a walk just so I can just be prepared for our family time together. Mm-hmm. Um, I need you to do this and this before I get back. Yes. And, but I mean, and so you just said that that could that could actually potentially reverse a disease process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oofed. Yeah. That's wild. Okay, yeah. that's good stuff. So, what I really heard you say is prioritize yourself. Absolutely. Okay, keep going. I like that. Um, And then inflammation in general. So we know that inflammation can come from chronic toxicity and and bacterial overgrowth and the endotoxins that it releases within the gut. So really figuring out the root cause of that inflammation is going to be key in helping with the symptoms of PCOS. Yeah, in our world, we love to test for infections. We love to check for toxicities. Mm -hmm. Truly, we believe the body doesn't need help to heal. However, like we said 20 minutes ago, 50 years ago, it's a very different world than it is now. So yeah. our job as clinicians is getting harder and harder and harder. We have people that are emotionally stressed, relationally stressed. They live in toxic homes with all kinds of synthetics and moisturizers and perfumes and right. air fresheners, for mm-hmm. God's sakes. Oh, gosh, yeah. And we have to put all of that in and assume that it can make a difference inside of the body. Yeah. Um, insulin regulation. I think one of the things, like some, if someone's like, well, I don't know. Like, I, didn't, I don't do my blood sugar. So... <laughs> Um, I love my wife dearly. When I first met her, I never knew what hypoglycemia was mm-hmm. until I met Hangry. Yes. And uh, we, were, we were having some time together, and, and, she, and all of a sudden, this sweet, beautiful woman turned into like a bear. <laughs> and, and she got edgy, and she said she had a headache. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? And what we learned was that my wife had a propensity to be hypoglycemic, which mm-hmm. is low blood sugar. Yes. Uh, and hangry is kind of the word, right? Hungry and angry mm-hmm. put together. And what happens many times when there's a low, low, and that's kind of the symptoms with that, there can be a high, high. And I know a lot of times hyperglycemia, which is high blood sugar, people can feel a little bit jittery. Mm-hmm. They can have that crash. They can have some brain fog. One of the things we've talked about in so many processes is a balanced blood sugar approach. Yes. That is so clutch. So I always say, stack the deck. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like I know, like, so... 
we're, we're shooting this in the holiday season, right? Like it is like walk in to treat galore. And I'm not saying deprive yourself of those things, though like is could you have the same amount of, of bliss with a quarter of the cookie than you could with a half a dozen mm-hmm. of those cookies. So I think that's a big right. deal for people is to, I mean, we're not saying deprivation because a lot of people, when they think about getting healthy, they're like, all right, what do I have to give up? Yeah. No, yeah. it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. And it's more of what can you add in, right? Do you need more protein? Do you need more good fats, right? I right. mean, fat is such a huge part of sex hormones because, uh, you know, essentially the the sex hormones come from cholesterol, which is comes from fat, right? So you but need but I those cholesterol fats. is bad. <laughs> right. Been yeah. demonized, right? Of so, course. So right. last thing I want to jump in and then I, I just want to I just want to spit off some stuff mm-hmm. back and forth is endometriosis. Yeah. Give us some perspective. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. And my perspective is that is it is an autoimmune disease, right? So there are about 20 to 25% of people with endometriosis who have no symptoms. Hey. So it's what are those people doing who have symptoms? Why is their body responding the way that it is? Interesting. And so endometriosis typically involves this retrograde flow during your menstrual cycle. And so you end up with this endometrial tissue outside of your uterus. And so the body then responds and says, this tissue doesn't belong here and starts to attack it. Okay, I got to pump the brakes. I'm so retro flow means that yeah, like your, men- your menstruation goes the other way. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then it and goes like back up into the uterus or? Correct. And then it can actually move out of the uterus. So oh, into like the gut cavity Correct. where the liver and the gut are trying to do their yep. job. Yep. And then your body creates antibodies mm-hmm. against, oh my gosh. Okay, keep going. Yeah, so so the body is responding, right, to the environment that is created within the body. Yeah. And a lot of times the immune system is, is you know, it's friendly fire, right? And so yeah. then you get a whole host of symptoms that come as a result of the endometriosis. What, so for those that are having symptoms of endometriosis, what symptoms are they experiencing? So typically it's pain. It's pelvic pain, pain during intercourse, yeah. um, pain during um, either ovulation or menstruation. Those are typically the, the symptoms like that I see. And like a pelvic gut, like a low... Correct. And is there times because of the retro flow that you mm-hmm. talked about, is there times where it's more prevalent? Like would it be post menstruation or not necessarily? Yeah, or during menstruation. A lot of times we see okay. really, really painful periods to the point where they cannot get out of bed during their period. Heard of those. Yeah. yeah. Made yeah. my dollar company. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's not a lack of my by the way. Painful cycles is not mm-hmm. a lack of mydol or Tylenol or ibuprofen. Right. The body's responding appropriately. So mm-hmm. if someone's listening to this and they have especially painful s- during their cycles, yeah. there could be this autoimmune-ish type thing going on. Right. Right. What would that look like on labs? So typically we see it as uh, more estrogen dominance. We see typically there's an association with endometriosis and more estrogen on board. Um, because they're not getting rid of it. It's correct. being reabsorbed. So it's that detoxification process that we really want to focus on. So when we talk about detoxification, we always want to go backwards, right? So we want to talk elimination first. Yeah. If you're not pooping, then like don't pass go, don't collect $200, <laughs> right. right? Like right. you said. And then we want to focus on the liver. So okay. once you're pooping, then we work on the liver to make sure that your liver is able to appropriately de- detoxify in phase one and phase two okay. of uh, estrogen metabolism. So that's the the probably the initial focus that I'd have for someone with endometriosis and then working on inflammation as a whole. So what else is your body responding to? You know, Emily, the thing I love about what we do is we're not like, oh, okay, this is our protocol for Mm -hmm. endometriosis and this is our protocol for PCOS. And so we have this theme that says, if there's not enough gas in the tank, you're not gonna climb the mountain. Mm -hmm. We have this theme that says, if the liver's burdened, I'm sorry, do not pass go, do not collect 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. If your gut's not moving, 
Nothing. So like if your gut's not functioning well, it will literally give like the Heisman. Think of it, your lymphatic system dumps into your gut. Your immune system, right? Gut, gut associated lymphatic tissue. 80% of your immune system resides in the gut. Mm -hmm. So we don't mean to oversimplify this. What we have found though is a lot of clinics and clinicians overcomplicate how the body is designed to work. So I love this. Now, uh, now's for the fun part. So <laughs> success is left clues. You, you, you're a very successful clinician. You've been able to come alongside and, and bless men and women in your career. And so when I say success leaves clues, there's, there's, there's conversation and action steps and things that you ask people to do. So if someone's listening to this right now and they're like, okay, wow, this girl's got my ear. And, but I, I don't have labs, mm-hmm. but I have all these symptoms. Yeah. What are the first, this, the lowest three hanging pieces of fruit that you would, if there's a young mom listening to this right now, yep. what could she do for her and her family? First one, hands down, is parasympathetic nervous system activation. And we talked about that, but it is breathing. It is journaling. It is meditation. It is um, just making sure that your body is in that rest, digest, relax mode okay. because that's when healing is going to happen. This is the story I tell about sympathetic and parasympathetic. So when Rach uh, was pregnant with our first child uh, and we had, we, um, so she, I gave her this, we made this amazing salad before we went in mm-hmm. and we were going to have this underwater birth and Mozart <laughs> playing. <clears throat> well, fast forward like 13 hours, it was an emergency C-section. And when my wife, she doesn't respond well to anesthesia, so when she had anesthesia, 13 hours after her salad, she threw it up. And it looked like she had just eaten it. Yep. So that's a sympathetic tone. Mm-hmm. That's the opposite of parasympathetic. Sympathetic, we talked about it, the bear in the room, fight or flight, yep. running away from something. So her body had this much, zero interest in digesting. Absolutely. Because it said, I'm having a baby right yeah. now. But understand that you can't be in both sympathetic tone and parasympathetic tone at the same time. Right. So if you are being chased by a saber-toothed tiger or there's a mama bear in the room, you're not digesting. Nope. And you're not healing. And you're not healing. Mm -hmm. And you're not able to make babies. And you're not able to feel loved and give love and Mm -hmm. experience life the way that we're supposed to. So if we are not walking into that room called parasympathetic neurology Mm -hmm. and addressing what it looks like, then, sorry, I don't care what vitamin you're taking. I don't care what detox you're doing. I don't care what workout program you're doing. It's not going to work. Yeah. So parasympathetic activating exercises. Mm -hmm. Breath work. Yes. Journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Meditation. Meditation, mindfulness, prayer, whatever your whatever your jam yep. is on that. And then I have a pretty substantial neurology background. There's a there's a nerve in your body called your vagus nerve, mm-hmm. not to be not to be confused with the town in Nevada where you go gambling. And its <laughs> job is actually parasympathetic tone to every organ in your body. Yep. So then we talk about how, how do you stimulate the vagus nerve, cranial nerve ten, and that's things like. Singing, humming, rubbing the bumps behind your ears, the mastoid mm-hmm. processes. You could actually um, tap your chest right here. Chest tapping, yep. gargling. Mm-hmm. Um, not probably the most popular thing, but you can actually gag yourself when yeah. you when you brush your teeth. Those things all tell the vagus nerve, hey, wake up. Yes. I need you. I need you. Okay. Number one. So that's so that's number one. What's mm-hmm. number two? Um, I would probably say exercise. And it doesn't have to be 
high-intensity Join the gym. Right? It yeah. Just moving your body, right? Even just walking is a great way. Yeah, so if they do nothing, mm-hmm. give them the definition of what a something would look like. So going outside, walking to your mailbox, and coming in. <laughs> I mean, honestly. And allowing yourself for that to be okay. Yes, absolutely. Giving yourself and the way to say that was good. And that's enough, right? Yeah. And then maybe it's, I'm going to walk to... Um, the end of the street and back the next month, right? And then you're going to tell your kids, mommy's going for a walk yes. before dinner tonight so that I can be, and just even think of like where your mindset would be for coming in from a walk. You're like, ah, fresh yes. air. You've thought about an experience with your family. Mm-hmm. And then you get to come in and sit down. And how cool would it be if you could say to your spouse, yo, bro, um, or babe, or by the way, I've learned that if women can, if women say, hey, babe, to their husband before any statement, guys will do most anything for their <laughs> spouse. So, hey, babe, uh, I'm going to go for a 20-minute walk. Mm-hmm. Could you set like a 15-minute timer on your watch? And just can you could you set the table and have things out so that when I walk in, like we could have this like amazing experience? Yeah. Dinner's going to be next level. <laughs> and so will things that follow after dinner in yeah. most cases, right? Because you've paid attention to your girl. So, okay. Um, and then number three. I would say start seat cycling because... Yeah, super simple, cheap. It's so, so super simple. You're getting your fats, right? Mm-hmm. You're getting all of these amazing micronutrients from seeds. Right. And it's an actionable item that makes you even just feel like you're going to see improvements from it. I love it. So. I, love it. I think I want to speak to this as well. Um I would say, what, 80% of our practice plus is women. Mm-hmm. So I know what it takes for a woman to come and sit in a room or be on a Zoom with us. Uh, women, a lot of women have this self-talk that says, I'm not. I'm probably not worth it. Um, how much is this going to cost? Oh, I've tried this before. Oh, goodness. Like, am I, am I just, am I just over, over analyzing this whole thing? You're worth it. And here's why. If you're not the best version of yourself, then your babies are suffering. If you're not the best version of yourself, legacy suffers. Your kids, your spouse, your partner, your family needs the best version of you. So if there's something inside of you, your mother's intuition that says, I'm not where I need to be right now, stop pushing it aside. Listen, honor and take an action step. And 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 I get there are some partners and spouses that are like, oh, here we go again. How much is this one going to cost? That's the minority, though. Mm-hmm. There are so many guys that are like, babe, I just want you to feel better. I just want you to be the best version of you. And by the way, if you're married to or partnered with that person, God bless you. You are so blessed inside of that. Now, you have to take action. So let's talk about that taking action thing. By the way, this was a fun conversation. I love it. This was good stuff. So uh, so by the way, Emily is one of our clinicians in our practice, and um, she she is a, people can see her as, as a patient. So um, talk to us about what people could experience in their time either on Zoom or in our office in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. What can they expect with that conversation from you? Yeah, so I think it's gonna be a lot of the things that we talked about. I love to test and not guess. Mm-hmm. I just had a, a Dutch test that I was reading the other day. By the way, Dutch test uses dried urine and saliva to really map out all of your hormone metabolism, look at cortisol. I had one the other day where I was expecting to see one thing and I was 99% sure I was gonna see something and I saw the exact opposite. 
So it's a, it's, it kind of blows my mind when that happens because, you know, clinically we see things that really match up with a certain phenomenon, mm -hmm. but it doesn't always happen that way. I love when I get tests back uh -huh. and I say, I would have not guessed that. Yep. Because it takes the load off of us as clinicians. Sure. We have tools in our toolbox and if we're supposed to have everything like intuitively figured out, then that's not how it works. So, mm -hmm. I, so, so testing, you love, so, so yeah. there's gonna be some conversation about either tests that they've had or expect new tests Correct. to be ran. Correct, yeah. And then it's really a conversation of, of making sure that your body is working in the way that it's supposed to work. And mm -hmm. if you know, you're in the post or perimenopausal period, it's how can we support your body either through bioidentical hormones or through you know, other interventions to make sure that your body is still balanced in mm -hmm. that time period. And that's the thing too, I think is important. Like, we don't run to pharmaceuticals. Correct. We don't run to prescriptions. However, there is a time and place mm -hmm. where they are 1000% absolutely necessary mm -hmm. for that. And um, so, and so, just so from a, from a legality standpoint. And by the way, uh, we've had people that have you know that are that fly into the clinic. So if you so if you don't live in Minnesota, um, or even if you are in Minnesota, so the law. And I'm, this is just this is like my attorney talking right now. So for Emily to manage your case, if you need pharmaceutical intervention, she needs to see you like once, and then she has the ability to manage your case for a year. Mm -hmm. So like for example, our clinic is about a 25 minute car ride Uber from the international airport. So for someone to fly into the airport, Uber to our clinic, have about an hour long meeting evaluation with you, then you can manage their case within the United States. Correct. So that's that's not too much to ask in a lot of cases. And when you look at someone that understands mm -hmm. not just bioidentical hormone therapy, but also the, the rose in the middle of, of, a, of, a, of a weed garden, for lack of better terms, that's a big aspect about yeah. that. Talk to us kind of about your, like, as, as you work with people and as you journey with them, like what are kind of your ninja skills as a clinician? Like how do you truly shine in that clinical realm when someone's your patient? Yeah, so I love creating a unique and tailored treatment plan based on that unique person's, unique person's physiology. Right. So, so looking at everything that person has going on and creating a specific treatment plan based on that. So okay. individualization would be my super ninja. Give me some examples skill. because I'm, I'm, I'm privy to some of these. Yeah. Because it's not just take three of these, take two of those, and take 400 milligrams of that. Mm -hmm. what, yeah. are some, what are some ideas or some examples of what they could probably experience potentially as recommendations from you? Yes. Seed cycling, obviously we talked about yep. seed cycling. Yeah, I use a lot of low-dose naltrexone. Um, I find it's so, so it's actually an off-label use of a prescription medication that actually enhances your body's immune response. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We see better endorphin responses. We see less inflammation as a, as a result of it. And right. that's one of the things that I use to get pregnant. So fertility-wise, it's really, really great. Um, but just for overall balance and support mm. for the body in general, it also works really I well. I just got like full warm tingles when you said <laughs> fertility work because in my 21 years of practice, coming alongside couples mm -hmm. and helping them conceive babies yeah. um, is like one of the greatest like ah, it's like, a huge like passion you got to bring that baby in when yes. that little thing pops the hatch and yeah. I'm going to hold that pumpkin right because yeah. I know as a dad and you as a mom like like I grew up wanting to be a dad mm -hmm. and and I for example when I go home this evening I will have a five-year-old that will literally tackle me yeah and it's the best feeling ever right <laughs> indescribable there you have it <laughs> Yeah. So, so that's clutch. I think that's awesome. Now, from my experience too, it's it's also prioritize yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you do something for you. Yeah. You know, find a girlfriend that you can go grab a tea with or a mm -hmm. coffee with. Um, 
have your significant other take the kids and leave the house for six hours. Get out of, get out. Like you got to take care of you. Yes. Yeah. And, and you get to ask for help. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, like, and a lot of times your partner will support you whole, wholeheartedly, right? And it's it's almost like a blessing for them to be able to do something to support you because they know how hard that you've worked oh for so long. Guys are doers. Like, mm-hmm. just give us a task. Tell us what to do. <laughs> and then after we did it, pat us on the head. <laughs> Tell us we did a good job. And then use the word babe because that always helps <laughs> as well. So, oh my gosh. So, okay. So, um, by the way, we're, I know this is going to be one of our largest podcasts. People are going to be raving about this. Um, so there's going to be a, a link in the show notes on how to become a patient of Emily's and, and be patient. You guys, we're a very, very busy practice. We typically have a several month waiting list to get in to see us. And what I will say is the, the, the wait is worth it. Uh, because a lot of you have tried other things. You've, you've been down other roads. You've, you've tried other programs, other detox processes, and you're listening to this going, yep, yep. Because those things didn't work. So, um, and we also want to give you the very best experience. So know that we're not, we're, we have a very didactic experience. We're, we're very highly communicative and we are, we exist to change people's lives. I wrote on a whiteboard probably two years ago now, we exist or we create epic family reunions. And when I think about that, I, I think of the couples having babies, right? Yeah. And I think of, I think of, of you and, and Eric, you know, someday you got your grandma and grandpa and your three pumpkins have pumpkins running around. And it's like, like, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. And, and this world has lied to us, right? This world says, what do you do for a living? And this world says, how big's your house? And what do you drive? And, and what I can tell you, because I've sat down with thousands of patients, is what matters is connection. What matters is relationship. What matters is family. And that's, so this clinic, so I, I had it laid on my heart a long time ago that I exist to reveal people's potential. And why Emily's a part of our practices is that really resonates with her as well. We have been given tools, clinically tools. We have a team that surrounds us, that makes us really, really good. And our, our hope and prayer, honestly, is that people can go like, yes, I need this. So if that's you, just take action, right? What you need to do is find the link in the show notes and, and get signed up. You're worth it. Um, you are worth it. And, and I know that if you have a, a, a conversation with your spouse or partner, they're going to concur that. And what I know, if you, like, if you do what we tell you to do, like, you, the potential to change your life is, is beyond there. So, Emily, this was fun, girl. Yeah, thanks this so much for having so me. This is so fun. This is awesome. All right. So there you guys have it. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is sponsored by Life Boost Coffee. Clean, organic, and non-toxic ingredients are important for your health, and Life Boost Coffee is no exception. Go to coffeewithdoc.com to receive 50% off your first order. That's coffeewithdoc.com. All right, guys, Dr. Greg. So we want to get the word around. So if you love our podcast, we're going to incentivize you. So if you give us a a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts, we're going to put your name into a drawing for my go-to vitamin D product. That is a product called DV3. It has 21 ingredients, all of the cofactors necessary to absorb vitamin D. So again, if you put your name uh, and you do a review for us, uh, we're going to put you into a drawing and we're going to ship out a bottle of vitamin D.